Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no hold-ups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those hold-ups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same. Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. Hollywood. Hundreds of actors arrive here each year with a dream of stardom, to work. They come armed with headshots and hope. They drive down the boulevards. They share apartments with people they might not like. They dream of getting an agent who'll get them in front of casting directors who'll place them in those coveted roles. And for most, this goes on for years. Mark Ruffalo's famously said he auditioned 600 times before he got a break. George Clooney was here for 10 years before he was cast in the life-changing ER. Brian Reese has been running one of LA's premier acting schools for over 30 years. And I asked him, what's the secret? You're listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. Ah, show up. <laughs> the secret, you know, the secret is longevity. It really is. The secret is that it's a career. It's about spanning time. It really becomes something that you, you can't just hope that you're going to do it tomorrow. I mean, you hear the story over and over and again. It's this person was, a, you know, a 20-year overnight success. Uh, and it's really what it is. If you IMDb any of your favorite actors, you will see they've all been kicking around this town for years and years and years before they make it. And then you see them and you think, oh, okay, well, I've never seen them before. I guess they just made it. They got lucky. Yeah. And George was kicking around, by the way, far more than 10 years before he got ER. Okay, really? Yeah, far more. Wow. George, I think, I can, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of six other pilots before ER. So he had many, many years in there. And if you uh, IMDb it, you'll see that he did, uh, you know, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes when he was maybe 20, 21 or something like that. Right, right. Look, it's always easier to look at, to look at somebody else's life... And you see only the glossy bits. Of course. You see only the good stuff, and you think, "I want, I want that. I want, 
I want what they've got, and, and I'll be different from all of those other people. Let's go, let's go back now. You've been doing this for 30 odd years and you're still here. I'm still above <laughs> ground, honey. <laughs> what, uh, what got you into, into teaching? I was acting in New York. I was studying with a, a famous acting teacher there, Michael Shirtliff. Um, and he was, I, I had subsequently had moved out to LA because I didn't want to, I wanted to be in LA. I wanted to be in film and television. Uh, and he then moved out from New York himself. And when he moved out, he asked me if I would teach a class for him. I taught a class for him for three months. Uh, and I just did not want to teach what he wanted me to teach because he was old school New York theater. I don't really think that he had ever put a foot on a set uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, and so I went off on my own uh, after three months. One of the kids in the class, who oddly enough is back in class at this moment in time, and of course 30 some odd years later, um, in fact, he got married to a girl that was also in class at that point in time. You mean you can meet a partner here? Uh, yes, you, you can, honey. Oh, yeah. Just pay, <laughs> pay a little extra. Uh, and uh, he lent me his living room when I left Michael Shirtliff. And I was in that guy's living room for, I don't know, whatever it was, a year maybe. Uh, and then I was in somebody else's living room for whatever it was again, maybe another year. And then I got my own studio. Uh, and so that's really how it started. I mean, it started with nothing. And we should say, of course, your studio is actually on Fountain. It is on Fountain. <laughs> Are you familiar with that Betty Davis quote? I am. And yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just... So over the years that you have been teaching people, you must have seen a lot, yeah. a lot of change. Yes. In the business? Yeah. Tremendous amount of change. Completely different business. Right? Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the business today. The business today, you know, it's morphed into much more of a corporate industry. Your big studios, they're all corporate. They're all shareholders. Everyone has to answer to the shareholders, uh, which is a very different kind of landscape than it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Um, it's much more uh, challenging on so many different levels because of the number of people that are involved in each and every project. Um, the number of opportunities has completely changed because of cable outfitters. You're seeing places like, you know, it's not only, you know, Netflix at this point in time. Uh, it's Yahoo. It's Hulu. It's, you know, a Vimeo. It's everybody's doing their own product. Um, so it's opened up major, major markets on certain levels, but less and less duration to a job on other levels. Years and years ago, everything used to be 22 weeks network television show. Um, nowadays, you might have 10 weeks on a show if it's a cable show, maybe 12 weeks, 13 weeks, it depends. Uh, and that's for the year, you know, <laughs> that's a, not a lot of work. That's why they pay the big bucks. Because if they didn't, people wouldn't be able to stay in the business. So that part of it's changed too. And the feature film part of it, what's really taken over, and you really see it in the box office world, is your big tent poles, your movies that are 
all about action adventure. You're Star Wars. You're uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxies. You're Avatars. Those kind of movies have come in, uh, and that's really where the studios want to put their money. So that the smaller independent feature films, uh, the ones that you notoriously are going to Sundance or you know into smaller independent type film festivals, um, they're harder to get off the ground. They're harder to get financing for. They're harder to get distribution for. Um, they have to have either something that's either unique in terms of storyline uh, and or stars behind it. You know, we're in pilot season right now. And an interesting thing that's taking place about pilot season, for people who don't know what pilot season is, this is the time when the networks and the cable operators are shooting their television series um, that they will hopefully put on the air come September or depending on what time of year it is. Um, this year, almost everything is offer only. And that means that all of the good parts, and the leads, the series regulars, the series recurrings, those are all, instead of vying for them through the audition process, um, the talent agents and talent managers, um, they are they're approached from either the producers and or the casting, uh, and they're saying, here's an offer for our show. We want you on our show. Here's the money. Here's the deal memo. What do you want to do? Is this, does this fit into your scheduling, and is this a project that you'd want to do? So it's taken a lot of the... Well, can the little guy come up the ladder and be in that kind of good show? Uh, it's taken a lot of that out of the mix. You know, you have to have credential. You have to have time in. You have had to have had relationship building um, so that people will know who you are and know what you can do. Uh, I think clearly you can see that a lot of things these days, as well as 30 years ago, are not necessarily talent-based. They're much more personality-based. Oh, thank heaven. I know. <laughs> I know. It, you know, in one sense, it's like, really? And in the other sense, it's really. Yeah. Uh, and it's just the way it is. It's the way of the business. And, you know, people want to complain about it, but it's the way of the business. My manager said, uh, you know, that uh, pilot season, that the first part of it was full of it. There was nothing happening because it was all of these offers. And now that now the second ones are starting to trickle down. Yeah. Um, and, and then, so, so let's take it, because for, for people who aren't in the industry, they, they, they think of casting in terms of what they've seen on television or film. Yeah. Um, people throwing headshots, photographs on a, on a table and going, we'll take her, we'll take her, we'll take him. And of course, that's all changed now. Yeah. Tell us about it. Well, that's all electronic now. Um, what used to be kind of a, a much more personal entry into the business is now just on the computer. Uh, it's on the computer on one level, and on the other level, it's on screen tests. And again, when you used to go into an office and really just kind of sit down and chat with people and talk and get to know each other and all that, that stage is one, one removed from your final casting. Before that, all, all of the submissions, the headshots and, and resumes and all that, they're all done electronically. Um, so there's no really hard copy anymore. Um, that takes a lot out, again, out of the mix. Uh, and then a lot of it is screen testing. And that means that uh, for the actor, it's changed the whole demographic in terms of how they go about getting a job. Because a lot of it is you have to submit 
your own screen test these days uh, to the casting office. And so instead of them meeting you personally, they're only looking at your screen test. Uh, are you right for the role? M matching? Do you look like or are you the right size? Are you the right age? Do you look like the character? All that kind of stuff. Well, particularly uh, if, they've already, if they've already got the lead and you're going to be playing the occasional sister that comes into town, they've got to start matching for, for, for similar characteristics. Exactly. Um, and are you on the show? Is whatever it is that you're bringing to your screen test, um, do, do you look like you're on the show? And if you don't look like you're on the show, you're not getting on the show. And I think what happens for a lot of people, they just think, well, I, whatever I do is the right thing. And what we really see is that everything is really about genres. It's around, it's about types of shows that are in the marketplace now. Not only in the television marketplace, which is very, very strongly delineated, you know, between, especially now with vampire shows and, you know, um, uh, nighttime episodics, which have to do with you know CSIs and criminal minds and things like that, which are procedural shows, but also you have family dramas. Also, you have um, shows that are you know your comedies that are split up between uh, a four-camera sitcom, which has an audience in front of you, between a, a half-hour um, one-camera comedy. Uh, there are so many different genres, and everybody has to now think in terms of what is the requirement of a show, not just I want to be on the show and I'm a good actor. Therefore, I can get on the show. People don't look at it in that framework anymore at all. They look at it as, do you look like you are in our product? Right. And if you're not in our product, you're not getting on the show. You talk about relationships. So, and then we, and then we, we spoke about electronic submission and self-testing yeah. and so on. So how important is the relationship? Where does that come now? Because it used to be that... that you would hope that your agent had a relationship with casting directors that when they were casting something they would call out your agent or manager yeah. and say this is what I'm looking for. Is that relationship still relevant at that point? Um, yes it is but to a degree because that that whole system has changed now too. Um, what once was really agent-manager relationships with casting directors, now a lot of that is gone and what's taken place, which you well know, uh, is a new industry and that is casting director workshops. Uh, and uh, they clearly come with caveats, um, both on the side of realism, meaning is there a realistic opportunity there uh, and is this just an industry now that is catering to casting directors and putting money in their pocket. And okay. there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of discussion about it on both sides. Um, I should interrupt you there just yeah. to say for people who aren't in the industry, uh, because people will be listening to this podcast for resilience, resilience and something that resonates with them. But a, a casting director workshop is where an actor pays a fee to get in front of a casting director and perform a scene of generally their choice yeah. with someone who will read for them but not act with them. Sometimes and they act with them. It depends. They yeah, have variations yeah. on the theme. Right. Uh, but generally, you know, from, from my perspective, I take this as an opportunity to... It's like class. It's, it's a chance for me to work out. Yeah. Okay? It's a chance for me to act. And it's a chance for me to get in touch with people who are casting things that I would be a good fit for. Right. 
right? But they are not job opportunities. They make it very clear that they're not job opportunities. Yeah. Hearts are broken. Um, yes, lots of hearts are broken. And I think a lot of people really come into this town thinking that what they're going to do is, is get in front of a casting director, and then right away that casting director is going to make them a star. And what we see is is that that, that rarely, if ever, happens, I'm sorry to say, um, and that it's just like any other business. Um, the reality check is, is you wouldn't go to Ford Motor Company and get a job there and expect to be the CEO in one year, whereas a lot of people come into town and <laughs> they expect to have a series or be the lead in a feature in a month, let alone a year. Uh, most actors, especially in today's marketplace, um, you are working your way up, it, not so much from background, but from uh, under fives, uh, co-star roles, guest star roles, uh, recurring on a, either a television series and or, uh, and then that goes to a series regular to a series lead. Uh, and that can take place over many, many years. And that's not something that happens in a year. You've done a job and then another job and then another job and now you're the lead. Um, so there is, there is a certain protocol that takes place, mm -hmm. except it changes depending on who the individual is and it changes depending on who the individual is represented by. Meaning that if someone has a better quality agent, talent agent, or a better quality talent manager than someone else, they just may be moving up the ladder much quicker because they're going to have opportunities that a smaller agent or a smaller manager is not going to have. Mm. And that, again, is the way of the world. Look, I don't think acting is different from any other career in that everybody wants to hitch their wagon to somebody who's going to help them out, mm -hmm. who's going to hear them and see their talent. And people particularly join organizations, whether they're bankers or lawyers or doctors or, or PAs or like whatever, they join an organization because there's somebody there that they feel is going to be supportive of them and they're going right. to, to... Or mentor. To, get to sh help them shine. Sure. Um, and, and acting is no different from that. Yeah. You know, but but I, I, my, in my limited experience, I think there can, be, uh, there can be an issue where people have an expectation that an agent or manager will do it all. They do. But they don't have to do any of it. They have that expectation all the time. And the reality check, once again, is that an agent gets 10% of whatever <laughs> the fee is. Well, if an agent gets 10%, you can pretty well figure that they're going to work 10% of the time. Yeah. And that means that they're not going to work 90%. So that's where the actor uh, doesn't quite kind of get that they have to do a lot of the road work in this business. And this is where relationship building comes in. This is where, where you work a job, and on that job, let's say it's a television show, you meet uh, certainly a casting associate, a casting assistant, a casting director. So there's three people involved in the casting process. In when you get to the set, you're going to meet X amount of executive producers slash producers, and that can be any between 10 and 15 people, and then you're going to meet a director. All of those people, depending on what the show is, are all going to go off to other shows 
and or continue to work. If you're good to work with, if you're a nice person, if you're courteous, if you're professional, uh, if you're charming, if you're affable, if you're all of the things that make people want to work with you, then you have that many opportunities to then get other jobs down the road. If you're any less than any of that stuff with those 15 or 20 people, then your chances of getting a job are pretty limited at that point in time. So, you know, if you can build relationships, you have a much better chance than sitting around and waiting for the phone to ring from your agent who's only going to make 10% on whatever that deal is. Let's talk about some of those happy moments for people because you will have seen that yeah. in your class. You mm. would have seen people. Firstly, do, do you ever have people walk into class and you think, oh, yeah, they've got it? Um, uh, yeah, all the time. All the time. But having it and getting it <laughs> are two different things. What is it? What well, is part it? of it is, is that a lot of people that, that want to become actors, um, they want to become actors because they want to be creative, they want to be artistic, they want to be all of the stuff that isn't business-oriented. And then they find out that... It's just like any other business. And if you want to be in it, you can't just be creative. You can't just be artistic. You have to have business acumen. You have to understand that every time that you go into those offices, you're meeting people that are business people. And every time that you go to a show or go to a feature film, these are business people. And that a lot of actors, in quotes, don't have business in their soul. They weren't brought up with it. They don't get it. They don't like it. They don't know it. They certainly don't like going into an office and having to introduce themselves and having to be in that office situation and feel the stress and feel the nerves and feel the rejection that's about to come. And they don't like that. And yet that is part and parcel of what you have to do for every single job that you go to until you get to a level where you know a lot of people and you've worked with a lot of people. And then those people... The, the, this is back to the pilot yeah, season yeah. thing. They're the people that just call up and say, hey, I want this person. But that's a long way down the line. Well, it is, a, and, it, and it's daunting. I've been in that position, and I'm, I'm quite affable and, and, and quite like meeting and mixing with people. Yeah, you're great. But I find it terrifying. Terrifying. It's terrifying. Right? Yeah. And, oh, I can't, I'm trying to think of one experience, but I can only think of a hundred. <laughs> It's all it is. It's what every actor, it's their demise. It's yeah. their, the worst thought that they can have is having to go into that office yep. and, and not be an actor for a minute, but be a human being. Okay, so they've, they've, so how it works is uh, their agent, their manager has seen something on the breakdowns. So the computers, um, the internet, oh, what am I, what am I, what am I saying? Um, they've, they've got this thing that says, right, uh, uh, 20 to 25, uh, he must be at six foot, he's the brother of this, and this is the, this is the show. And the agent goes, yes, that's perfect for blah, blah. And so they send blah, blah in, and blah, blah has an audition, then blah, blah gets a call back. Let's call him John. John gets a call back, and so John goes, whoa, here we go. And so he goes into the call back, and, uh, and he impresses them sufficiently that then he has... Producers, network, that would be the next stage? Um, it depends on whether it's television or feature film. Okay. But yes, the, what the next stage is, is a, an increased number of people in the room that are scrutinizing you. Right. And doing the same performance. <laughs> and doing the same. But at the same time, proving that he's going to be great to work with on set. Yeah. And he's not going to be a dick. Right. Right. 
And um, yes, we can say that on this podcast, I hope. Um, so that because they don't want to have people on the team, a, a lot of people have been confused about this as well, you know, because so much acting training is about being with other actors yeah. because it's theatre-based, yeah. you know. So it's working off another person and saying, oh, I'm not getting enough from you and, and uh, was I giving you enough? But a lot of times when I've been doing things, I'm talking to a, a Coke can, yeah. you know, a... a, a uh, somebody on the on the crew continuity is, is, is holding up something and saying, "Talk to this." Talk to this because the, my, my my co-star is is back in his trailer. Yeah, you know, they're not on the set, thing. so they're just they're just shooting your lines. Yeah. Um, so it's a question of being nice to the crew, to to, to everybody, to who is everyone, on set. everyone, everyone, <laughs> essentially can be part of getting you a job yeah. and it happens all the time you are nice to the makeup person and they go on to another shoot and they say to the producer i just had somebody on the last shoot who was fabulous would be great for this shoot you should meet them and now this is the makeup girl or the makeup guy who's who's now presenting you and they're not your agent but they're your friend are you able without naming names clearly but are you able, from your 30 years of experience, to tell any um, anecdotes of people who have really stuffed it up for themselves, really made some unbelievable mistakes? Oh, God, there's... <laughs> we you know I mean? can... Do you have the rest of the year? Uh, you know, I think, you know, uh, so many people have made mistakes that are mistakes that come from naivete more than anything else. And a lot of the mistakes, the big mistakes, are turning down projects they shouldn't turn down. Having judgments about certain types of projects that they that would only help them, but in their mind they feel they're better than the project is. They feel that they're not getting enough money for the project. And when I say not enough money, they could be getting a million dollars for it, but they want a million and a half dollars for it. And they are not going to take that project uh, unless they get it. Um, one of my students turned down, without naming names, turned down, uh, he was offered five hundred thousand dollars i don't know what that is in australian but i know what it is in america it's a lot of money (laughs) for one day's work for one day's work turned it down five hundred thousand dollars one day one day that's you know 12 hours on the set didn't want to do the job now granted he already had tons and tons of money so the money didn't get into it there but at the same time it's 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 a one day what are you doing what are you doing on thursday nothing what do you want to make five hundred thousand dollars so that's a big thing you know in terms of making mistakes uh and doing things that when that happens right away the producers and the director and the people that are involved in that project are thinking to themselves i don't know if i ever want to work with this person again they couldn't take a five hundred thousand dollar one day you know job eh. well this is the thing you see because i i said m- made mistakes and you didn't say well they acted like this or they acted like that or they missed their cue or they they didn't go to their mark you went straight to that business side of it absolutely okay so that so the fairy tale it's still imbued with this fairy tale quality and in many ways it is i mean look i'm here yeah right? absolutely which is an absolute fairy tale but, but there is it's show plus business, yeah. right? And then it's show plus business plus magic. 
Yes. Equals success. And yeah. a sliding scale, do you think? Absolutely. Right. right time, right place, without a doubt. You know, and that's the magic part of it, um, that there is a certain element of luck that comes into it uh, in terms of project, quality of project, um, again, agent and manager relationship and how high up the ladder they are. Uh, there's a, you know, a tons of variables that take place. It's not just, well, I'm talented and I should have a job. That oftentimes is the bottom of the, of the barrel. And I know people don't want to hear that. People want to hear that it's all about talent and it's all about this. But everyone knows it's not. Everyone knows they watch a television show or they go to the movie and go, that movie sucked. Oh, my God. That was terrible. Everyone in it was terrible. How do they get the job? Well, how do they get the job if everybody sucked? They're great to work with. And they're not thinking in their minds that that sucks. Everyone wants to, everyone wants to think that all echelons of, of the film and television marketplace are upper echelons and that everything that we all do is going to be on the, you know, the A level. To and, impress the top person. Well, it's, and, and to impress the world, whatever it is. And what we see is it's not any different than a restaurant business, that there are many, many restaurants at the bottom rung. You know, you don't go to Denny's and think you're going to get, you know, something that you're going to get at Spago, which is an A-list restaurant versus, you know, a pancake place. And it's not to, to say that Denny's is bad, but Denny's caters to a certain product as well as the higher-end restaurants cater to a certain product. Well, it's the same thing in the acting world. There are tons of projects that are out there that are D-minus projects, and they will always be. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to sell. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be super, super successful. Just because something's a D-minus doesn't mean that you're not going to be a star. It just means that that it's not going to be what you th wanted it to be. <laughs> you know, several years ago now, uh, Kylie Minogue. Do you know Kylie? I know she's not as popular here uh, as she I is in know. the UK. Yeah. So she's an Australian singer, uh -huh. wonderful singer, um, and she's been enormously successful in in both the UK and Australia. But she said that nowadays, kids want to be famous just for being famous. Sure. They don't want to be famous for doing anything. Yeah. Is that your experience? Um, there's a sector, absolutely. There's a percentage that that they're not interested in. <laughs> In, they're not really interested in the work part of it. Uh, they're really just interested in the celebrity part of it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's that it's a, a, a more than fifty percent that kind of a thing, but it changes. But yes, in today's world, people are much more entitled, much more uh, thinking that they deserve something without any effort whatsoever. Uh, and a lot of people they they're not in the business because they like to act. Remember that or not remember, but if you didn't know, um, that oftentimes movie stars, they work maybe three months of the year. That's it. Three months of a year. They do one movie a year. If that. A lot of people um, work one movie every three or four years. And that means that they are not working for three or four years in between and or they're doing press junkets you know at the beginning you know after a movie is released but that means that they're not they're not working and that means that they're not working oftentimes because they don't want to work for whatever reasons and again the, that myriad of reasons but there are there's certainly a quotient out there that just wants to be celebrity and just wants to go to parties and just wants to go to charity events and just wants to be on that circuit as opposed to an you know I want to act I just want to be involved in some kind of acting environment do you think that creates a problem for people when they when 
I have a particular belief that we all need somewhere to go every day with a banana in our briefcase. Sure. Right? Do you think that creates problems for actors? Loneliness, boredom? Uh, definitely boredom, without a doubt. But also, the set creates that too. You know, the set oftentimes, uh, depending on the type of shoot, can be a, a, an excessively boring environment. Uh, and I think a lot of actors didn't know that when they got into the business. They thought that they were just going to be working all the time, and that's what you do. And you that, hurry up and wait. Yeah, it's. I've taken up knitting. Yes, well, a lot of you have to have some. You have to have something to do, uh, and knitting's nice because you get you get a product at the end right. of it, um, and. It's therapeutic at the same time, uh, but yeah, a lot of actors don't know that that it's 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 a lot of sitting around, uh, it's a lot of waiting, uh, it's a, it's a lot it's a technical business far more than it is the creative arts part of it. You know, the creative arts is really done by a, 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 an assembly of people, many many people. As an educator, how important do you think it is that people have a solid background in acting? to pursue the career? Um, it, 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 you know, again, it's relative on so many different levels. First of all, it's what kind of training. I think, you know, as with any kind of educational environment, uh, there are many that are not up to date. They're not having to do really with today's marketplace and today's world, 2016. Um, they're still caught up in 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Not unlike college education, which is oftentimes still caught up in 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, they're not doing the things that are about today's world uh, and that will really help you get jobs and sustain jobs. Um, so it, it it's again, you know, it's it's an individual thing. Uh, some people come to the come to the table already with a bouquet of talent, uh, and they if you try to educate them in the wrong form or fashion, all you're going to do is just take their talent away. And some people come with no talent at all and no awareness whatsoever. And then you have to then, you know, kind of channel that into them and give them an awareness of all of the different facets of what education can be. Because it's not just one education. And I think that's one of the problems of education is that certainly a lot of educators are still trying to teach one thing instead of look at the marketplace. It's huge. There's just so many different kinds of shows, types of shows. In the last 20 years, we've all of a sudden been educated into green screen, <coughs> excuse me, computer-generated images and things like that, where no one teaches that. And it's, an, it's a viable, important part of today's marketplace. When you look at all of your big tent poles, all of your movies, your Star Wars and all of those kinds of movies, your Transformers, etc., they're all green screen based, mm. as well as a lot of TV shows now have green screen in them. Oh, amazing things are done in post. Amazing. Okay. And yet, I, actors yeah. don't know anything about it. And ain't that the truth about everything? And ain't that the everything truth? Everything that we do. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, ultimately, the key to everything is, first of all, you've got to have the skills. You've got to have some kind of talent. You've got to have some skills. You've got to know what you're doing. You need, you need your toolbox, so you need to have your headshots and your reel and your various memberships of casting associations and so on. But you've got to be nice to work with. Yeah. And you've got to think of others. Yeah, you really do. So that balance of... That's a tough one. And, and you're a dad as well. So let's talk about that. That... There's that, such a line when you're teaching people 
to be confident in yourself and to be selfish, but to also think of others. That it's often been said it, it's like the aircraft where the oxygen mask falls down. You've got to put it on yourself first before you help somebody else because sure. you're not going to be of any use to anybody else unless you've got your own together, right? Yeah. But it's a line, right, isn't it? Oh, it's tricky, you know, and again, because it changes so much from uh, from each time. Remember that each one of these, you know, film companies and television companies, they all have their own business model. And, and I think, again, everybody thinks that it's all just one big package and everybody runs their business exactly the same. And I think what has to happen is, is actors, you know, they have to be uh, aiming, they have to be able to adapt. They have to be able to see what it is that they're now needed for and then adapt to that and work within that context. But they have to have a level of self-awareness, confidence and self-esteem before they even get to that. This town town and this industry is lethal for that. Yes, this town is built on confidence. It really is. You know, there are more actors that work in this town that have more comfortable confidence levels than they do have talent levels. And again, it's not that I think that that's a good thing, but it is the way it is. So if you can build confidence and build talent at the same time, the same way you would with any kind of sport, because it really gets down to when you are playing to win, you better continue to have that confidence throughout it, and you better have your talent to be able to draw on, because if either of those break down, that's where the system breaks down. Well, but the other side of that, and you would have seen this, this in people as well, you know, they have extraordinary amounts of confidence that's entirely unfounded and not necessarily deeply felt. Absolutely. Right? It's not a real self-esteem. Not at all. That allows them resilience and, and the ability to sustain a decent life. Right. It's this, oh, I don't I mean, I call it Namaste LA, right, where, you know, you're told to wake up, look in the mirror every morning and say, I love you. <laughs> I love you. You're fabulous. I love you. Yeah. Um, Fake it till you make it. There's Fake a lot of psychology around that. A lot uh, of psychology. An athlete who starts at the start of the race, they visualize them, them crossing over that finishing line. Um, I'm talking runners, not javelin throwers. You know, <laughs> like hitting that finishing line, seeing that. Uh, I do that on the, on the comedy stage. I, I see the audience sure. um, smiling and, and being happy at the end of my performance. But you've got to have the basis as well. And you teach that to people, don't you? Well, I think the basis is what, you know, is part of what your confidence is built on, you know, uh, if it's real confidence. I mean, if it's something that will sustain you. Uh, Otherwise, you're just hoping that you're going to get lucky. And unfortunately, in this town, and you see it all the time, there's dead actors all over the place. You know, they had a great shot. They had one movie. They had one television show, whatever it is. They had it. It was somebody handed them the silver platter. And they couldn't take it. They just couldn't lift it and bring it back to themselves for whatever reason. And I think, yeah, that's really where basics and, and stick-to-itiveness and perseverance and really kind of just what you said, self-awareness. Okay, so, so where do you get that from? Well, some people, are, you know, they're born into it. You know, it's innate. It comes from mom and dad uh, or it comes from their friends or wherever it comes from. Some people build it up on their own uh, that it's all false and it, makes, and it works for them. And that's okay, too. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything 
wrong with having it come from wherever it comes from as long as it doesn't have any evil <laughs> participating in it because wherever you get the stuff that makes you that person uh, if it's goodness then it's it's good <laughs> it's when it, it kind of backswires on you and you see a lot of actors especially when they get to be stars or something they start to believe their own publicity and they get to be a little bit um, less fun to work with, more demanding. Uh, people don't want to be around them. Uh, and so that's where mistakes are made as well. You know, So it's not just the mistake of, uh-oh, whoops, I made a bad choice in what I was doing in terms of the, the project. But it's also a mistake of, you know, don't be a problem. The interesting thing is, and you see it, you see it in Charlie Sheen. People can work in this business and be phenomenally successful and be and have <laughs> serious, serious faux pas. Uh, whatever faux that pas. Is. Oh my. Okay. You know. What? And that's as opposed to just you're a drug addict, dude. You know, I mean they you know, and they still can make a million dollars a week. And that is because they are a commodity. Well, they're still delivering the goods. They're still delivering because the goods. Because that's the, that ultimately you've got to deliver whatever whatever that, whatever that it company is. that company wants. You know, and and I find sometimes myself I I get direction to do something that I didn't see in the script, but I'm not about to go <laughs> Oh, no, that's not that's not who my character is because I'm not the writer, yeah. you know. And and that's interesting being older than the average bear uh, because I thought that I would I would struggle with that uh, because one becomes a little bit set in one's ways the older one gets uh, and the yeah. more experience one has. Sure. And yet I find when I'm working with a good team, it's irrelevant. Absolutely. I'm just I'm, I'm a mouth and a body for hire. Absolutely. Sound like a sex doll. That's not what I meant. <laughs> but it works. <laughs> but it works. Um, uh, you have said in class uh, that in this industry you need relationship uh, relationships with ten people. Who are they? <coughs> And can I have uh, Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not so much that you need relationships with 10 people, uh, because wouldn't it be nice to have relationships with 100 people? Uh, what I meant by the 10 people is that if you have relationships with just 10 people um, that like you and that each want to work you just one week of the year, you can have a very, very successful life. And that means you're only working 10 weeks of the year, but because the money's so big in this town, 10 weeks of the year is very sustainable. And, and, <laughs> and that's without, you know, then put on top of that residual checks. Um, the more relationships you have, the more success you're going to have. It's just that simple. The more, when I said 10 people, that can be 10 casting directors, that can be three casting directors, three producers, three directors, and, and one executive producer, any variation of that theme, that if those people each work you one week of the year, you're looking good, you're smiling, you're having a good life. Even though you're probably not working as much as you want to, because that's only two and a half months of the year. Mm. Uh, again, depends on what your work ethic is and what you want to do. We we touched on the manipulative CD side a little bit, but what else makes you sad? 
Oh, I think what makes me sad is, um, you know, on the actor side, um, is actors not wanting to make any effort. You know, you said it yourself, just hoping to get lucky. And that always makes me sad. It makes me sad in any industry when somebody thinks that they're, you know, going to hit it big and for no reason. And it, it's, it's not any different than the people that play the lottery. <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago we had a billion-dollar lottery, and that means that a lot of people thought they were going to win that money, and that's why they invested in the lottery. And I, I wish people cared more about their work ethic. I wish people cared more about um, how they presented themselves. I wish people knew more about uh, what they were getting into in terms of the business part of it and, and that it's a longer road than they all think it is, even though they see somebody, you know, in something. Well, they, they see the Kardashians. They see Justin Bieber. Oh, yeah. They, um, they, see, they see people who they think are like them, and they don't see the full depth of the business. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially in the Kardashian world, you know, th that's just celebrity for what you look like and what you sound like. That has nothing to do. There's no talent. Nobody's bringing talent to that. That's not about talent. But what they see is that, okay, they're on a show. They have a, uh, a clothing line. They have a shoe line. Um, they are selling cosmetics. Yeah. You know, they're making $50 million a year for doing nothing is what the concept is. But of course, I mean, they're in business. They're well, they're, it's not doing nothing because they have the, they're the face of it. But, I mean, behind the scenes, there are Tons the designers, there are the product managers, Absolutely. the brand managers. Yeah. That they're looking at the direction. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not nothing, but it's certainly... But that's what people think in their mind. They think, well, they, what are they doing? They're just on a show and they're talking. That's, they're not doing anything. And, yeah, maybe that just means that they didn't earn it as much as you're going to have to earn it. But here's a big, here's a big thing. I've been getting into a very deep level now. I love it. Our desire to be paid a lot of money for doing nothing has been one of the biggest causes of unhappiness. Absolutely. Since Adam was a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You only have to look at, we have, we have this homeostasis of, of happiness that rises substantially when there is an influx of something that makes us happier, be it love or money, but let's say money. Yeah. And then we settle back down again. Yeah. Because like most goals, once we've got it, we want more. Of course. We need to, to sustain that. Yeah. It's never so, enough. So, so, you know, we've got the, the whole YouTube phenomenon that is, that is rewarding people for thinking that painting fake abs on their body, God knows I tried, but it never worked for me, um, and filming <laughs> themselves can make you a lot of money. There are a lot of YouTube people who have lots of followers, Instagram, lots of followers, and they're working in Starbucks, and they're having to leave their jobs because they're recognized for being famous, but they're not earning any money yeah. from doing all of this Instagram and, and YouTube and so on. Yeah, some are. It again, relative. Some, some are. Yeah. A friend of mine, she works for a, a big studio, and her only job is to go on YouTube and to find those people that are getting the most hits. That also the product that they are selling, whatever that may be, yeah. uh, is going to work within the same kind of context that the studio is that she works for. And then she brings them over and, again, introduces them to everybody else there in an effort to try to make it so those people take all of their followers with them and now they're on a show that comes from that studio.
studio. So, and it depends, you know, and some people are making a lot of money just by being on Instagram where all they do is, is they put on there, this is where I am. And depending oh, on how many that's hits, a, that's a business, that's a business, you know, that's a, that's a business of, of big business, know, people, you know, buying into endorsements and so on. No, exactly. I understand that. But I mean, what you're describing is very little, very, very, um, it, it's very similar to uh, George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion, which became My Fair Lady. Yes. Taking somebody who had a foundation and then shaping them into what you want them to be. Exactly. So that's been the human experience for a long Forever. time. Forever. Forever. And sometimes I worry... I worry that we look at younger people, particularly as I'm getting so much older, <laughs> we look at younger people and we, um, and we forget that they don't know at their age what it's taken us years to learn. Absolutely. You know? And that's part when you said what makes me sad. And that's that naivete that they come into town and they think that they're going to have a series in three or four months or that they think that they're going to be a film star in three or four months. Uh, and all of a sudden they find out that, no, it's just like any other business. You have to work your way up the ladder. And I think that many, many people are very shocked at that. So, so, so much so that they end up going back to wherever they came from and going, well, this town sucks it's you know you can't get anything and you know it's just people that know each other and all that where it's just a business where you have to work your way up the ladder like any other business take fountain take fountain <laughs> exactly it's the shortcut brian reese thank you so much for your time today. oh i adore you and you know it you've been listening to take fountain with ella james for more like us on facebook and follow us on twitter you can subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco. I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.